we, we pulled together a, a group of people who have, have really been there and done it. Uh, you know, it's not just a, a talking exercise. It is a, mm. an exercise in having the, the sort of uh, the scars on your arm of, mm. uh, of making mm. transformations or, or building businesses from the scratch. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, the, the seven and a half years have gone, uh, gone by in a flash. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today has been recognized among the top 100 influential fintech leaders. As a highly esteemed entrepreneur, he stands out as one of the most recognized and influential figures in financial services. Through his leading financial industry podcast, namely Fintech Insider and Blockchain Insider, he shares his wealth of knowledge alongside first-class and well-known comrades from the sector and industry. Join us for what promises to be an enlightening and enjoyable episode on Heads Talk today. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. This episode is sponsored by Axia. Axia is the leading private cloud platform in the Alessian and Matamos ecosystem, combining intelligent solutions with security and control. Axia's clients profit from digitalization and automation of critical business processes in a cloud and hybrid architecture. 150 staff provide migration, engineering, and support services to over 200 leading organizations in 32 countries. Let's talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. David Embrier is the co-founder and CEO of 11FS, a pioneering consultancy specializing in building and launching next generation digital propositions for some of the biggest banks in the world. With venture launches across the UK, US, Europe and Asia, David is at the forefront of industry evolution. Prior to 11FS, David delivered large-scale digital transformation programs for Lloyds Banking Group and Aviva. He then led Gartner's global digital banking practice before founding 11FS. David's commitment to reshaping the landscape of financial services is evident in his fervor for the belief that the journey into digital financial services has only just begun with a mere 1% of the transformation accomplished. I'm going to ask him a question about this. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome David to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to join you. Okay, really glad to have you here on Heads Talk for this series, David. And thank you once again for sparing the time and being so gracious throughout the process. Um, let's start with a, a further introduction to 11FS, the aims, current projects, current priorities. When and why did you start this business? Yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's an interesting one. We uh, we often sort of uh, when we get asked about eleven FS, we we spend a lot of time talking about our almost our belief system. Um, and actually, I mean, you touched on it a little bit with the the idea that digital banking and financial services more broadly is is really only one percent finished. But we started the business back in twenty sixteen. Uh, it feels like uh, both uh, an absolute lifetime ago and uh, mm-hmm. and twenty seconds in the same uh, breath. But uh, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure every uh, business uh, runner is uh, feels quite similar in that one but uh, mm-hmm. we, we pulled together a, a group of people who have have really been there and done it uh, you know it's not just a, a talking exercise it is a mm-hmm. an exercise in having the 
the sort of uh, the scars on your arm of, mm. uh, of making mm. transformations or, or building businesses from the scratch. And it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, the, the seven and a half years have gone uh, gone by in a flash. Excellent. And I'm sure you get asked this all the time, but please uh, indulge me. And the name, how did that come about? <laughs> Do you know what? It's uh, it's one of the most frequently asked questions. I, I know, I'm sorry. We, we, have a, we have a selection of, uh, depending on how uh, sort of trife we want to be at the time, we'll, uh, we'll pick on them. But uh, yes, I mean, for, for, uh, for, well, for us, uh, you know, actually, we say digital is a, is a small team sport. You're, you're moving from the, the conventional army of how big is your budget and how many people do you have to, you know, fintech players with, you know, 15 people doing amazing things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. 11 as a, as a team sport metaphor worked really effectively for us. Um, you know, the idea that 11 is going beyond the normal range of, uh, of expectation in terms of, you know, one to 10. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you've ever seen Spinal Tap, we're, but you know, we're big, uh, rockumentary, uh, fans as well. It's quite entertaining. Right. We didn't know until we started it. Apparently there are 11 herbs and spices in the KFC recipe as well. So, uh, again, depending on, uh, how crazy you want to get to, uh, then, uh, we've got a story for it, if that yes. makes sense. All right. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, so, so there's a real meaning behind that. It's not just something you randomly pull out of a, a, you know, a Christmas card or something. Okay. Oh, Absolutely. Well, and, and actually that, that is quite important as well, because it's, um, it drives, I mean, it seems, you know, you, you sort of think you pick a name and it, you know, it doesn't have meaning, but actually it, it has to have some sort of inherent cultural ad um, and if you look at a lot of the organizations that we've we've built you know things like uh, metal with NatWest you know having having metal as an entrepreneur you know the the goal of that bank you know it, it sort of embodies what they're doing or or mocks with Standard Chartered I mean to be moxie in in Hong Kong is to be to be savvy to be to be good with your finances mm -hmm. and actually we we use um uh, you know, naming and, and clarity on communication really is a shorthand to to get everybody aligned with with really what we want to achieve. So it's um mm -hmm. it's funny these uh these things that sort of feel like they don't have meaning to start with actually derive real meaning uh, when you start to understand them. All right, and it's such a succinct and memorable name. So you know, bravo to you on that. Okay, that question that I mentioned, that I'm going to bring up at the um, introduction. You mentioned it again, so I'm going to bring it up now. I'm assuming this is about the sort of the digital banking is 1% done. I'm assuming you can talk a bit about the 99% that's left to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's funny, uh, again, uh, you know, the, the the things you say that get, uh, you know, um, distilled down into stickers that many people have on their laptops. You know, we've had yeah. uh, big banks, I won't name who, but uh, blow up the, uh, you know, the digital banking is only 1% finished sticker as a, I think it was like a 15 foot poster that they've got on their wall, you know, and actually it's interesting when you say that, you know, some people take it as a, you know, what are you talking about? We've got, you know, we've got chips in cards and, you know, NFC and, you know, we've got all of these things. Um, and really it's not a, it's not a dig. It's not a, and, a, and I should say, it's not statistically valid. You know, we've not surveyed 5,000 people and, you know, this is what the sample size says, you know, but actually to your point, it is more of a, an excitement that with all of the yes. the regulatory change the the technological changes that we're seeing and with uh, customer expectations being set by industries that are far better at meeting uh, you know the demands of of the the real world that people live in mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of looking forward and going aren't we lucky to live in this industry? You know, are we so yeah. proud to work in financial services today and and actually when you have that 
that restless mindset that actually no matter how good the thing is that you've done you can always do it better if you've got more opportunities or better budgets or you know longer time so you know actually embracing the change rather than fearing it uh, I think is you know the mindset that we're really trying to push people towards. That's interesting because I interpret it as there's a lot to do there's a lot to come and get excited that's how I interpret it as opposed to yeah don't insult me that we have done so much work thus far how can you say we've only one percent done I, I didn't interpret it that way but you know well no I've I've definitely had uh, I've had CEOs of banks try and argue to me that it's at least three percent so we should be you know and so but but like no. I say it's not a uh it, perspective is always uh the seat that you're sitting in isn't it to a certain yeah. degree yeah. and uh you know there are a lot of people working very hard in different organizations to to try and move their organizations forwards. But mm-hmm. it sort of goes a little bit hand in hand with what we say about the industry, which is, you know, we're, we're sort of going from a the objective being to, to digitize themselves, which mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. you know, predominantly a process of taking people and paper and, and, and really sort of replicating the previous form factors to mm-hmm. one where digital is, is really the aim. Uh, I think the, the word digital is probably one of the most bastardized ones in financial <laughs> services, because actually when you look at really what most people have done over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, it's taking previous form factors, you know, the experiences we had in branches or, uh, or telephony or paper and, and actually moving us towards this sort of zombie world that we're in right now when it comes to financial services, which the objective is just giving customers the ability to self-serve. And, mm-hmm. you know, that coupled with, actually a a lack of you know all-time records for lack of financial understanding or you know time or with mm-hmm. all of the pressures that actually everybody has with the uh you know various different financial crises or the uh you know the difficulty that people have with you know day-to-day finances mm-hmm. um just giving people access to self-serve is is absolutely not the objective anymore so you know for us it's um you know, it's part of a, a broader trend that we're seeing, which is, you know, can't we just do a little bit better for people? Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. Now, 2023 was an interesting year in tech and, and fintech as well. Can you just give me a summary of your thoughts on fintech in 2023? Yeah, it's it was a tough year. Um, and actually, look, this is um, probably the, 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 the first sort of, big winter since uh since really it all got going in a in a major way you know we're we're sort of seeing the the headwinds of uh difficulty with capital raises and you Mm -hmm. know investors becoming a little bit more uh savvy or a little bit more skeptical and Mm -hmm. actually couple that with you know harder regulatory burdens as the Mm -hmm. uh you know the loopholes started to to get a a little bit more difficult to Mm -hmm. to get through and then actually if i'm honest with you the the big banks really uh, kind of, uh, you know, getting it together and probably being a, a, a more realistic threat for talent within those organizations to, to draw upon as well. So, so yeah, I'd say it was a pretty tough year for, for fintech um, and actually uh, not just fintech in the B2C sense in terms of the, you know, the Chimes and the Varos and the, the yeah. Monzos and the Starlings, but, but actually with the, the banks themselves, you know, the big incumbent organizations yeah. being yeah. threatened through things like, the uh, Credit Suisse UBS merger, the uh, oh. all of the things that happened with Silicon Valley Bank, you know, the the level of nervousness in the market had a, mm-hmm. a really significant impact mm-hmm. on the the B two B fintech landscape mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, I'd say all all in all, probably H one of twenty twenty three was was pretty bad bad grounds. 
Um, but there was definitely some real green shoots in uh, H2 of 23. And we've we've definitely seen that continue over into the the way in which the year has started as well. Mm. So sticking with um, the year 2023 and sticking with a sort of fintech, what were you happy to leave behind? <laughs> um, I, I think the probably the the indecision and fear um you know when you start seeing uh interest rates rising so significantly when you start seeing uh you know business models break because of the you know the those those factors changing in a way that mm-hmm. you know is completely unprecedented in in you know almost uh, a whole generation's working life um now that we've got a little bit more stability you know the uh with um the the sort of meteoric rise of those things now that we've seen things like silicon valley bank you know the the sort of um the the problem be mitigated and mm-hmm. you know various mm-hmm. different organizations and regulatory bodies step in to to ensure that that actually doesn't breed into a a broader you know financial crisis the likes of which we saw in 2008 mm-hmm. um all of these things have sort of led to actually almost knowing that the it's like knowing your flood defenses work mm-hmm. effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes it takes a flood for you to really have confidence in them. Um, but the steps that we've seen with the regulatory environments, the steps that we've seen organizations take to actually evolve to be uh, fit mm-hmm. for the environment that they're operating in. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like actually we're going from a place of uh, fear to optimism. Uh, and that's, uh, it's always better to uh, operate in a, uh, an environment that is optimistic about what the opportunities are uh, mm-hmm. And therefore, looking for for places to be. I, I mean, if I was a big fintech and you know I was looking to raise right now, I would still be concerned about the mm. uh, you know down rounds and valuations and everything that goes with those things. Um, but really, those things are always momentary headlines. They're points in time, and and mm. actually, you've got to keep your eyes on the long term prize of, of fundamentally where you want to get your business to. You described it as winter, which I sort of made me pricked up, sort of. In, in terms of how you describe 2023, what do you say is more sort of settling? Um, I, I would say the the people who, you know, as any sort of long winter uh, is, you know, the people who've got the the right uh, right amount of grain in the barn are the ones that are, are probably best, uh, uh, you know, set for actually mm-hmm. mitigating those circumstances. And, and actually you saw a lot of, uh, you know, large scale fintechs raising yeah. uh, in anticipation of those things. Um, as always, I think the ones that got caught out in the cold are, are probably the ones that are, are most struggling now. But but that in itself is is not really a, necessarily a, a bad thing. You know, uh, actually a little bit of um, consolidation in the market mm-hmm. actually breeds pretty interesting opportunities, both for fintechs acquiring other fintechs, but mm-hmm. but actually for the for the big banks to really accelerate some of their uh, talent and technology mm-hmm. uh, capabilities as well. Okay. Okay. Before we move on to the next question, I just you know you run quite a few events, um, awards events, and I'm I'm sure you've attended quite a few. Can you I don't know pick one or or two where you you know you want to share the takeaways that you thought okay this was profound for me. Yeah, it's been um it's been really interesting. Do you know I uh, the the one that I would point to over the last um you know sort of twelve to eighteen months would be the uh, Singapore FinTech Festival. Uh, you know, actually, what you sort of find, and we've been really lucky enough to to sort of operate in in most geographies, is the the ecosystem develops in 
you know weird and wonderful ways it's like the 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 evolution of you know different animals and different organization you know the the constructs the the food supply the all of these different things and it's been fascinating to see the you know the ripples from the uk with all of the open banking regulation and sandbox mm-hmm. and all these different things hit different shores um you know the singapore fintech festival for me was the one that was most energizing you know the the talks were passionate the changes were happening the the uh, big incumbent organizations were were really optimistic about the change that was there so that one for me would was probably the one that was uh, most stand out there mm-hmm. but but i i you know you've got to kind of love, love the the london fintech scene as well i mean the the events as you say the the after dark events that we put on where we mm-hmm. you know, record the podcast in front of a live audience and you know you get four or five hundred people turning out to, to do those types of things that's uh that's an amazing yeah. um mix of you know big banks and regulators and startups and investors and mm-hmm. you know actually just having safe spaces for all of these people to come together that actually is a uh you know mm-hmm. a, a productive group of people who will align on the same thing um that for me uh, you know as much as it's great for everybody else it's uh it's nice for me to uh, almost um, feel that energy and, you know, recharge the batteries for the next thing ahead. That's good. Um, excellent. And um, as highlighted in the introduction, you've worked um, and you are working or have a close working relationship with some of the world's largest and oldest banks and sort of giving you a, a direct line to to their perspectives. Could you share insights into the ongoing conversations regarding the rise of generative AI and its implementation in their operations. You know, while predictive AI has been a sort of a staple in financial institutions for several years, understanding their current concerns and areas of enthusiasm in this evolving landscape would be intriguing. So so over to you, David. Yeah, sure. It's um, it's an interesting landscape, isn't it? And, uh, yeah. um, you know, it's one of those ones where essentially, you know, you're, you're seeing a, a change that fundamentally is being uh, caused really by uh, people understand it when they can see it. Right. Yeah. And, and almost uh, I mean, if you look at similar sort of um, hype that we've seen from a technological perspective around things like crypto, actually senior people within organizations have not felt or seen or understood those types of changes and therefore the impact that it has on their organization either from a from a technological perspective or from a cultural perspective is is just not the same um you know actually the the rise of uh, generative ai mm-hmm. in terms of mainstream uh, impact last year and uh, maybe sort of touching at the end of uh, 2022 really has brought it to you know literally you know brought it to home for for people where they're they're seeing and feeling the impact so they're they're sort of asking the question why can't we do that uh, and that's a that's a great uh, aspirational point for uh, well why can't we make these types of leaps with regards to our uh, our experiences that we provide to to, to consumers um mm-hmm. I, I sort of caution that obviously with a hey this is a a very heavily regulated industry yeah. and actually the outcomes that are uh you know uh gains sometimes from generative ai capabilities are are unpredictable um mm-hmm. you know it's not long ago that the regulator would have wanted to have seen every different permutation of a you know, a marketing flow to understand exactly what the customer has seen and, you know, trying to talk through, a, you know, this isn't a decision tree when a customer is engaging with generative AI tools, but, but something that is literally on the fly 
explaining what they think is the next best step you know and and actually while you can do that with a human in terms of you know this conversation or any conversation i'm not planning out the next 10 sentences i'm saying what's coming to me you know well actually you can do that with people because you can train them you can certify them you can make sure that they're at a a standard that they understand the difference between advice and guidance and everything that goes with those things and therefore it will be within the confines of the the regulatory framework uh, i mean it, there's been notable noticeable problems with generative ai you know tools like uh, i think dpd yeah. had a had an issue a couple of weeks ago where you know if you ask the right questions you can find quite rogue outcomes that really won't be acceptable to the to the regulators, you know, anywhere around the world when it comes to financial services. So, so well, I, I think the the excitement is there and the impact is is significant. You know, um, then I think the real tipping point is because well, you see players like Microsoft integrating, uh, you know, generative AI tools to summarize Teams meetings, and you know, Zoom and other competitors have similar mm-hmm. things as mm-hmm. well. I mean, that's where people are like, wow, this is this is making my life easier and better. Uh, and ultimately, it, it sort of shapes a different landing point for financial services, which ultimately has been a, an industry separated and exposing its, its customer experience based on its organizational structure. You know, people talk to the savings department or the mortgages department or the credit mm-hmm. card department or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas actually things like generative AI have the ability to to straddle all of those and answer questions across all of those pieces, given the right data sets. And that's, mm. that's really exciting. You know, we, we say, uh, you know, within that 99% to go is, is actually a journey from dumb analog products to intelligent services. And, and in order to, to make those intelligent services, you, you know, you both need the intelligence, which actually, you know, the algorithms can provide, but you also need access to really good data. Uh, and that's something that actually, you know, every bank, every financial services company is evolving their capability to to, to meet. All right. So you would say they're more enthusiastic rather than concerned, because banks always seem to be sort of cautious to me. But based on what you're saying, they're more enthusiastic with this new technology piece. 100%. Yeah, there, there is um, extensive testing being done in various different use cases uh, across financial services from, you know, very basic, hey, can I interrogate yeah. the terms and conditions within my savings product or credit card uh, to much more broad scale? Well, actually, how can we start to to sort of orchestrate people's financial lives in a, in a different way? So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's definitely something I'm seeing people embrace uh and it sort of paints a quite an exciting future for how the experiences within financial services changes okay so all right let's let's do a sort of a mini comparison so you know when it sort of when it comes to such organizations that we just talked about these incumbents and establish traditional financial institutions what valuable lessons can they glean from fintech organizations would you say yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because actually, uh, and we've sort of seen this, uh, you know, one of the, the founders of 11FS founded both Starling and Monzo. And, you know, often we talk to other organizations uh, around the world. And, you know, often what banks, uh, the big incumbent organizations get um, fixated with is, is features. You know, they look at... Yeah. Um, you know card freezing or you know peer-to-peer payments or uh you know uh, money pots to allow you to you know 
safe for holidays or whatever but mm -hmm. but the the real um the real step change is not really what fintech is is done it's it's the way in which it's it's done it and actually when you start to look under the hood of a of a monzo uh, both from a you know a technological perspective but also from a from a cultural perspective it is it is fundamentally a, a different thing. You know, they they look like they're similar things from the outside and, you know, the regulator has to regulate them consistently across the piece as well. But the ability to take a, a great idea, you know, from some customer insight or from, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from, from the heads of smart people and, and put that in the hands of their customers, you know, quickly and cheaply uh, and to a high quality, that is very different uh, and actually most of what um has sort of created the the issues for for big financial services organizations is is actually their understanding of actually how to to operate uh technology and operations in a in a digital fashion you know it isn't is no longer a well what are we going to be doing for the next three years and at the end of it you know we'll be at this beautiful place mm -hmm. but actually the, the environment is much more akin because of expectations for customers being set in many other industries that mm. the things that you have today evolve with you. Uh, they they get better every release. They get uh, more akin to solving your problems. Um, and, and actually, whether it's, you know, our iPhones or, you know, a plethora of other devices that we have, yeah. all of these things evolve as the provider of them know more information about us and, and can serve our needs better. So for me, that's the that's the real aha moment is, uh, you know, I think it's a classic Banana Rama song. It's uh, it's not what you do. It's the way that you do it. Right. And uh, and actually with the uh, with that sure, mentality right. of actually putting in place the operational capability to to deliver that and, and live like that, then it, it changes not just what your aspiration is. It's not just the collection of features that should solve the problem, but it actually is a, a large uh, movement towards a, a very different cultural framework, a very different decision-making structure within organizations. It changes how they do budgeting. It changes how they manage risk mm -hmm. effectively. Uh, and all of these things are um, sort of evolutionary steps in the marketplace um but because the the competition wasn't there in the market then these are almost hard lessons that people just didn't need to learn all right and what if, what if i tell what about i ask you about the opposite conversely what what can fintech organizations what valuable lessons can they learn from financial institutions traditional financial institutions yeah i'd, I'd say uh, you know there's there's almost a uh, um there's always a reason why people evolve in certain ways, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, the big banks are the way they are because of the way the industry is to a certain degree. So so I'd say um, while some of the naivety of coming into a market with fresh eyes is, is very valid, um, that naivety works very effectively when you've got 500 customers. But when you've got 5 million customers, then actually uh, the regulator expects a little bit more, you know? And actually, I think it's... Um, very akin to you know the the expectations we have of a five-year-old versus a 15-year-old right mm -hmm. uh, and actually that's the the point in maturity where i think we are at the moment the the fintech space is going through that uh, sort of awkward teenage phase where they're really uh, you know figuring out how mm -hmm. deep their voices really are and uh, really what they want to be when they grow up and you know for many that will not necessarily be the the result of uh, the journey that they set out to achieve but but i think learning the 
the the difficulty of running an operation. Um, you know, it's sort of classic, classic Clayton Christensen sort of innovator's dilemma. It's uh, far easier to build something from scratch uh, than it is to change an incumbent. But as those startups get bigger and bigger, then, uh, you know, if they're not careful, they can start to, uh, you know, represent a lot of the things that actually they were fighting against. Uh, mm. I often say it's uh, it's like the uh, teenager who swears that they'll never grow up to be their parents. And, uh, you know, we all look in the mirror when we hit 40 and go, Bam, you know what, parents, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can understand why my parents were the way they were, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> OK, right. Um, let's dive into the world of podcasts. Um, mm -hmm. Listeners, if you are a fintech enthusiast and eager to absorb compelling content from industry experts, thought leaders, gurus, but, but crucially actively involved in the business, sort of offering valuable insights across all facets and niches within the sector. Check out the, the link I'm, I've placed in the show notes and, and have a gander. Importantly, subscribe to the shows um, and immerse yourself in the, in the wealth of knowledge shared. I think that was a good introduction. So over to you, David, shed some light on your diverse podcast portfolio. Yeah, it's it's been fun. It's um, it was a strange one, really, when we started it. I mean, we started fintech uh, fintech insider back in 2016, 2017, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, we were pretty terrible. Like, uh, not gonna lie. I mean, uh, we leave up the first uh, ten episodes to point to anybody thinking about getting into doing these things, <laughs> just as a look. If uh, we can get to where we've got with uh, you know millions and millions of listeners, uh, then actually. Uh, with such a bad starting point, then actually, you know, anybody can achieve that in that way as well. So, uh, you know, we we started the podcast really with a we're really passionate about these uh, the subject matter. Where we also realised that actually, little old eleven FS is is not the only people who need to think in the way that we do in order to to really change the fabric of financial services in the way that we want to. So, and actually, with the backgrounds that we had, we were really lucky to be in great conversations with you know, CEOs of banks or fintechs or, uh, you know, the regulators or whoever. And, and actually what we wanted to do was was really just help the rest of the industry, the community that we serve to to be part of those conversations and be be part of that movement. So uh, we aimed, um, bizarrely as, a, as an aim, we, we sort of looked at, well, we kind of want to be uh, loose women and top gear, but for fintech, you know, like actually this is about having fun and, you know, really being passionate about the changes that are happening, but but really um, that it's, it has to be as as entertaining as it is informative. And do you know what? We get a lot of feedback from people who are, are not in financial services, who just want to mm -hmm. understand a little bit about yeah. fintech and, you know, what is this stuff? They mm -hmm. listen to it and they they find it fun. You know, we always talk like normal people. We uh, mm -hmm. we don't use any big fancy acronyms or any uh, long words that I can't spell. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, you know, just look to be normal people who are passionate about the change. So, so it's, it's more. It's not. Sometimes it's one to one, and sometimes it's a panel discussion, isn't it, on your podcast? Yeah. So we'll do. Uh, I mean, every week the industry is moving so. Fast, you know the the changes the news so we do a news show we'll bring in you know three or four industry experts to just talk through the things that have happened in the week uh, and then actually we get opportunities to talk to you know ceos of standard chartered or hsbc or yeah. wherever and and actually we'll use that opportunity to get some of their insights in terms of the change and where it's going often actually what we found is uh you know we did one on open banking a couple of weeks ago um, how is open banking affecting different regions? Because back to my point of evolution, 
you yeah. know, speaking with uh, somebody from Canada and somebody from South Africa, you know, the the changes yeah. that we've yeah. seen in the UK, yeah. actually, they're all being implemented slightly differently. So it's all about education, you know, and, and actually being in a situation where as a community, if we all learn, we can probably have a bash at making it better as well. That's good. And um, I said podcast portfolio because you have one that's Blockchain Insider. Do you want to tell my listeners a bit about that one? Yeah, so uh, so we uh, do you know what we've we've done various different ones. So blockchain insider is very much focused on the the community that's there for for blockchain, for crypto, for everything in that way. Because actually, that community in itself is uh, is very passionate about actually the change that's being brought about, and, mm-hmm. and actually it allows us a little bit more uh, with fintech insider being the the sort of main show. It allows us to double click and go a little bit deeper into the the technology and everything that underpins it. So, uh, yeah, we've uh, in the past we've done uh, InsureTech Insider as well, which uh, yeah. I think we'll be bringing back very uh, very shortly, uh, and then a few other sort of spin offs as well. Where do you know what we feel? Actually, there's a story to tell. Uh, we even actually not a podcast, but a, a documentary. We even shot a full length documentary uh, to to chart the uh, the change that has happened uh, since the financial crisis in, in 2008, which mm-hmm. actually has been used in universities around the world to to explain to people why that happened and and how it happened. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're big believers in storytelling as a great way of, of kind of passing on information. Mm-hmm. Um, and back to that point, um, you know, you've got to make it fun, right? Yeah. Am I right in saying that for a while blockchain sort of disappeared on everyone's front of their mind and now it's sort of making its way back again it was that my imagination yeah. yeah no i think the the sort of underpinning you know distributed ledger technology I, I think the everybody always gets um you know more interested or less interested depending on how you know the price of bitcoin's going and therefore yeah. all of the things that are around it right um i think we're at a point now where you know the banks have sensibly sort of separated the two agendas and uh, you know only this week i'm talking to organizations who are you know, materially deploying distributed ledger technology within their organization. Uh, And if I'm honest, uh, it's moved away from talking about the technology to talking about the the use case and the benefits that are actually being brought from it. So, yeah, I mean, we're talking about, you know, major changes. I mean, even if you look at the the regulations, you know, everything that uh, uh, Lord Holmes has done to, uh, you know, push through uh, really great changes in British law to allow uh, you know, digital um, receipting to to be done for mm-hmm. even things like uh, international bill of lading from a shipping perspective. You know, this is all moving towards talking about the the problem that it solves and the you know the billions of pounds that that can help. Uh, you know, from a, a risk perspective across you know really precarious economies. Uh, you know, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's nice that the technology is uh, new and shiny, but uh, mm-hmm. it's always what you do with it rather than what it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Uh, let's move on. Let's discuss sort of who inspires you now, uh, David, if you can. So if you could sort of identify up to two individuals whose impact on your perspectives um, regarding fintech and banking um, has been profound. If you could sort of um, elaborate on the specific elements of their their work that resonate with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, it, definitely not in the uh, in the financial services space. And I know this is uh, this is very trite to sort of start there, but uh, my mum, like uh, you know, oh. because I, I think actually when it, when you sort of look at what um, financial education is, uh, actually you are in a situation where you've got to be 
uh, understanding the value of things. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand the value of money. You've got to understand the value of effort. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I think I pretty much owe everything uh, from a life lesson perspective when it comes to, uh, you know, valuing those two things and the the work ethic that goes behind that uh, in order to to get to the place that uh, I have done. Um, it's not a, um, a short term effort in terms of the things that you need to do and and understanding that actually the uh, the, the sort of compounding benefit uh, of effort and sustained effort over a long period of time. It's all of the things that I'm trying to instill into to my kids now as well, because it it sets you up with great foundations for, uh, you know, for the for the long journey ahead. But uh, mm -hmm. I think when you look at people in in the industry, uh, I look at people like Lawrence Wintermeyer, uh, you know, previously the uh, the uh, CEO of Innovate Finance um, mm -hmm. has created a, a very special environment that actually from sort of 2016 to 2020, I think was really pivotal in ensuring that actually the uh, the the center point for, you know, fintech startups, big incumbent organizations, the regulators and everything that was there um, has really created a, an open dialogue that, uh, to, to shape the industry that we we enjoy today. So yeah, somebody like Lawrence, uh, I've, always, uh, I've always looked up to mm -hmm. in a big way. Um, equally, somebody like Chris Willard. Uh, Chris Willard was uh, formerly CEO of the FCA, uh, now works over in uh, Ernest & Young, doing fantastic work for many people around the world. Um, mm -hmm. What inspires me about both Lawrence and Chris actually is just how normal a people they are. Uh, and that's not to, uh, to, to do them any disservice about their you know, level of intelligence, but first and foremost, they are people people. Uh, they understand that actually, you know, the, the journey on anything is, is is difficult and therefore how you communicate and how you inspire people to go along on those journeys is a is a critical part of, uh, of success. Uh, I mean, you can you can be right and get that wrong and you won't achieve the outcome. But actually, if you really learn how to pull teams together and, and move people forwards, then then actually it's a it's a pretty awe inspiring thing to 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 witness the impact of it. Mm. Excellent. I'm, I'm listening to you and I haven't quite formulated this question yet. So in my head, but I'm, I'm going to say, say something. It's, <laughs> it, um, there's, there's an air of um, camaraderie. There, there's an air of um, making sure everyone is positive and have positive energy in the environment they work in. You're, you're working in the financial sector and you tend not to see that or think that. Am I right in saying that's very important in the environment you work in more so? A hundred percent, yeah. I think the, um, you know, back to that sort of, it's not what you do, it's the way that you do it. Um, yeah. I, I honestly think the the ways in which you, and, and you know, in both a positive and a negative way, right? We we deliver pretty brutal messages to people sometimes, but I think if you if you do it with the right intentions and, you know, with a smile on your face and, with the, you know, we talk about positive intent in terms of the 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 opportunities that you are trying to unlock for people. Um, you know, sometimes you've got to use different methods to help people get to where they want to get to. You know, I'm uh, I sort of use the metaphor of uh, personal trainers uh, quite a lot when we're, we're sort of talking to people. I mean, if they're too nicey nicey, you're you're not getting up early and doing those press ups, right? <laughs> so, uh, um, so actually, you, you've got to be in a situation where you're your understanding the organizations you're working with or all the constraints that you've got within the industry as well and and really pushing the the boundaries if you want to 
to really make it better and move things forwards. I think the other thing I'd, I'd say to that, and, um, you know, uh, I mean, you'd, you'd be better placed talking to people at 11FS uh, than me on this one, but I really think people need to have something bigger than just the financial plans of organizations to, to get out of bed every day. And, uh, you know, when you look at the, we get this feedback all the time in, in interview processes, which is, it's just really fr- refreshing to, you know, mm-hmm. join an organization mm-hmm. that actually mm-hmm. has an opinion of where it can be and, and actually where we see our position being in that market. So, you know, I, I think um, nobody gets out of bed every day to, um, you know, <laughs> meet a, uh, you know, X million pound target of a whatever to do whatever, you know, but actually if you feel like you're part of a, a bigger thing and a, and a movement that, uh, you know, it's like the, the story of the, uh, you know, the janitor at NASA knows he helps yes, put people yeah. on the moon. Right. Yes. Uh, and actually I think if you can build that culture, um really and i sort of say from from my background perspective as as much as i love financial services uh you know before uh before i had to get a proper job i was playing sports uh and my you know basketball was my was my passion it was the thing that i i loved doing and a lot of how i think about the industry is is really brought from team sports and you know competitive nature of doing those things Mm -hmm. Uh, and i i think um when you think about teams in in that manner then it's uh I think a, a very different thing that you're looking to achieve. There's something you say, maybe it's just me, but I think you said you, you sometimes you have to deliver harsh messages with a smile. I just had a sort of a vision of smiling assassin in my head there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure if that was, that was what you meant to say, but that's the sort of impression I got in my head. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it, it definitely, it definitely is. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not, uh, I'm definitely not trying to assassinate anybody, but I'm, uh, I'm definitely trying to uh, kind of eradicate aspirations and actions being different you know we've uh, mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of organizations spend you know billions of pounds and and not achieve the outcome that they're wanting to achieve you know it's like uh, everybody makes great new year's resolutions but uh, you yeah. know uh, you know suddenly we're hitting mcdonald's on the you know the second <laughs> wednesday of the year you know so you know we've got to be in a situation where if we aspire to achieve greater things if we want the industry as a whole to be better we've got to be really resilient and really focused on making those things happen. So, yeah, I mean, some of the some of the hardest conversations that we have with people is, look, if you really want to achieve this, you're just not going to get there by doing it in this way. You know, whether it's these technology decisions or by setting up the the culture of the environment in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I, I think we've earned the right to kind of have an opinion because you know not for nothing it's it's not like we haven't delivered these things therefore you know we're not coming at it from a a place of negativity we're we're coming at it from a place of really helping the industry to to meet its objective of treating customers fairly and Mm -hmm. uh you know ultimately being uh, much more productive for society okay um let's shift our focus and end this episode of heads talk with this forward thinking question um if we were to reconvene next year to discuss trends in fintech or even blockchain or even in tech, um give us a couple topics excluding ai that's likely to be on the agenda what would you say david yeah i think um you know i think the big ticket item really is uh core infrastructure um you know i, I actually i think um we've been in a situation for quite a long time where uh, big organizations are essentially sweating existing assets 
Um, and that's, you know, when you look at the the sort of tapestry of uh, financial services, particularly within big players, they are, uh, you know, uh, sort of stories of, mer- uh, you know, acquisitions and mergers of, over time. And, and really those things have created fracture lines through technology of monolithic structures that kind of means that the aspiration is, is going to be really difficult to do, definitely really difficult to do at any uh, type of unit cost or operating cost as an organization that would uh, be uh, probably palatable for for kind of senior people within organizations. So I think we're seeing globally now people get to a point where, well, do you know what we've digitized for as long as we can? And if we really want to get to a, a different place, then really uh, rejuvenating the the core infrastructure. And, and with that comes the, the change in the operating model. Um, you know, many have deployed cloud technologies with uh, really a, a replacement for where they've got data centers, but actually the operating model benefits that comes from operating with cloud infrastructure is, mm-hmm. is far beyond just where your data centers are. So um, I think this, if I'm honest with you, and, and maybe in a slightly more sinister uh, way as well, is actually I think the that agenda within some of the biggest organizations can actually will probably be accelerated by the acquisition of fintech players. Uh, I think, you know, for all of the market conditions pieces that we talked about earlier on, mm-hmm. I think there will be some bargains uh, in the market for for people to kind of look at. And, and because of that, I think, you know, the savvy uh, buyer in these types of markets and, you know, big banks have still got lots and lots of capital. Um, what they might not have, I sort of often joke is, uh, my uh, my taste in wine is, uh, you know, I've got no taste in wine, quite frankly. I can tell you a three thousand pound bottle of wine versus a, a bottle of Blue Nun, you know. So, uh, so actually, like the idea that uh, people have got to be savvy enough to know when they're buying something that they really need. Um, but I think the opportunity to really accelerate the big banks' uh, digital transformation by instilling uh, both the the talent and the technology from different players is is going to be really exciting. You've got me thinking about mergers and and collaborations. Do you want to give us a prediction in terms of fintech, fintech organisations that might merge, that might collaborate? Well, I mean, I can definitely see one of the one of the big banks picking up somebody, you know, and actually you can equally see, you know, we're starting to see players like Wise and Stripe and uh, Klarna and different players, you know, Mm realising that actually... Uh, you know, while their beachhead has been amazing and they're making huge amounts of money in terms of doing it, then, you know, collaborating to really take on the, the big players is a uh, is an exciting place to be. The, do you know what the, the point of collaboration, actually, that I think might be really interesting, and we're seeing this around the world, is yeah. uh, building, building societies and credit unions as well. Um, and this is almost a merging of um, their intent to provide an alternative to traditional banking. And while actually their budgets are quite small uh, independently, if you look at the potential for, you know, 15, 20 building societies or 15, 20 credit unions taking on some of the bigger players in terms of the impact and the things that they can do, I actually mm-hmm. think it's going to be a really interesting middle ground between, you know, the, the fast pace uh, of fintechs, but not necessarily with the, financial services savviness of actually how to deal with yeah. you know risk yeah. and regulator and everything uh, and actually the the big incumbent banks who uh, know risk and financial services really well but don't really get the the innovation space yet mm-hmm. credit unions actually fit in this really interesting space where the they have a an ability to make decisions and make things happen uh, quicker um, 
but actually have a, a brand and a, a purpose and a, and a story that actually, if digitally delivered, I, I think can be um, can be pretty impactful. So uh, I, I sort of feel like a year from now, I think we'll be seeing those guys uh, fighting back a little bit and uh, and probably taking on both sides of that fence uh, mm-hmm. with pretty good uh, pretty good impact. Mm-hmm. And maybe not just big banks. What about big tech? Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I think the the stance that you know the Googles and the Facebooks yeah. and the Apples are, are still taking is uh, you know staying outside of the the regulatory uh, you know burden as as much as possible. But I mean, Apple now is what is it two percent of their revenues coming from financial services, yeah. and that sounds like a small amount, two percent. But when you're a you know yeah, a, the size of the organization that yes. Apple are, that is yeah, exactly. pretty significant. So so I think the you know the the best play. Uh, to really create dominance over uh, any market is first to, you know, insert yourself into the value chain. And, you know, it's undeniable that Apple Pay is a very large part of the value chain when it comes to payments. Um, Actually, if you look at the UK model, uh, I mean, Apple have picked up startups like uh, Credit Kudos and various different players, getting to a place where actually they can really start to do more and more with advanced elements of data or using open banking rails, uh, you know, I think there's a lot more that those guys will do, um, not just Apple, but, you know, various different players in the market. Um, and actually, I think as we uh, as we see those guys get bigger, I wouldn't be surprised at them making a bit of a play for, well, actually, should we bite the bullet and yeah. uh, and really sort of dip our toes properly into the market and, and become regulated entities in that way as well. So uh, uh, yeah. watch that space, but I would not be surprised. All right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. So I'm glad you sort of ended on that. David Greer, an insightful and an enjoyable conversation today on Headstore. Many thanks for your time and insights. No problem at all. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.